This is Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly update on the people and policies leading Michigan, with Michigan Democratic Party Chair Lavora Barnes. Welcome to Party on the Peninsulas, your weekly report from the Michigan Democratic Party. I'm Lavora Barnes, and the word this week, persistence. When right is on your side, never give up. We've seen it time and time again this year as Democrats have won major victories in both policy and elections that are the culmination of years of effort, the persistence to overcome strong opposition. Expansion of Michigan's civil rights protections is a great example. For literally decades, efforts to expand civil rights protections to the LGBTQ community came up short. For years, even discussing the idea was politically toxic, but proponents persisted. Earlier this year, Governor Whitmer signed into law expansion of the Elliott Larson Civil Rights Act. And just this week, added to those protections was the Crown Act, a prohibition against penalizing people in the workplace for their hairstyle. Lansing State Senator Sarah Anthony has been advocating for this change since she was first elected to the legislature five years ago. Her persistence paid off. Persistence can also mean victory in elections. One example, Oakland County. For decades, Oakland County was a bastion of Republican political muscle. Outside of Pontiac, running as a Democrat seemed futile. But a generation of dedicated campaigns started to move the needle. Now, Oakland's representatives in Congress are all Democrats, all but one county of white official is a Democrat, and Democrats have a 13-6 majority on the county commission. In a moment, we'll talk with a new member of the Michigan legislature who is part of the transformation of another part of Michigan, the Grand Traverse region. Once a solidly Republican region, change is happening there thanks to the persistence of a lot of area Democrats and the newly elected state representative, Betsy Kofia. But first, an update on the week's news on policy and politics in Michigan with Dorian Tyus. I'm Dorian Tyus. Here are some of the stories on politics and policy we're following this week. Attorney General Dana Nessel has issued indictments against three people charged with nominating petition fraud. The fraudulent work the defendants performed through three companies led to five Republican candidates for governor and two nonpartisan judicial candidates being disqualified or withdrawing from the ballot in 2022 while a judicial candidate decided not to file the signatures after realizing the petitions were plagued with problems. Nessel said the case points to the likely need for changes to Michigan election law, including possible state licensing and bonding of signature collection companies. Michigan Democrats have advanced legislation that would allow local clerks to begin counting absentee ballots up to eight days before an election a reform they contend would deter the kind of misinformation that followed the 2020 presidential election. A record 3.3 million Michigan voters cast absentee ballots in that pandemic contest, leading to delayed results as some of the state's largest cities continue to tabulate votes more than 24 hours after polls close. Then-President Donald Trump used the window on election night to falsely claim He'd won the state despite what was later certified as a 154,188 vote loss to Joe Biden. 
While local clerks had called for more flexibility to begin counting mail-in votes days before Election Day, the then-Republican-led legislator gave them just one extra day to open ballot envelopes. Democrats, now in full control of the legislature for the first time in 40 years, want to allow election workers to not only open envelopes early, but also feed them through tabulators before Election Day. The Michigan House has approved legislation expanding teacher union bargaining rights in the state and reversing restrictions on labor negotiating subjects imposed more than 10 years ago when Republicans controlled state government. Teacher union contracts could include rules on teacher placement and layoffs, and school districts could collect teacher union dues through payroll deductions under legislation that was approved in a series of 56-53 party line votes. Michigan prosecutors would have new tools to fight hate crimes against gay, transgender, senior, and disabled residents under legislation approved by the state house. The bills now heading to the Senate after a 59-50 vote would prohibit intimidation, harassment, threats, or harms based on sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, disability or age, expanding an existing law banning ethnic intimidation based on race, religion, gender, or national origin. Child marriage is currently legal in Michigan, but legislation passed by state house lawmakers Wednesday will put an end to such matrimonies in the state. The votes come after legislation establishing a minimum marriage age of 18 years old stalled in previous sessions. Lawmakers in the Michigan Senate are expected to vote on their own versions of the legislation soon. Under current Michigan law, 16 and 17-year-olds can enter marriages with the written consent of a parent or a legal guardian, and probate judges can give permission to those under 16 to marry. The Michigan Attorney Grievance Commission, which investigates allegations of wrongdoing against lawyers, has concluded that former GOP Attorney General candidate Matt DiPerno made false statements and engaged in conduct that is contrary to justice, ethics, honesty, or good morals, according to a June 9 filing obtained by the Detroit News. The filing with the Attorney Discipline Board focused on three counts of alleged misconduct by DiPerno resulting from years of litigation in which he represented former State Representative Todd Corser, a Republican from Lapeer County. Corser and DiPerno unsuccessfully sued the Detroit News after the paper in 2015 uncovered Corser's extramarital affair with the fellow lawmaker, then-Representative Cindy Gamrat, and his scheme to conceal it. Former Republican gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly is scheduled to plead guilty to a federal crime stemming from the January 6th siege at the U.S. Capitol. Kelly has an agreement to plead guilty July 27th to a misdemeanor charge of entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds. The government's estimated guidelines call for a sentence of zero to six months in prison. A federal judge has struck down Arkansas's first-in-the-nation ban on gender-affirming care for children as unconstitutional. The first ruling to overturn such a prohibition as a growing number of Republican-led states adopt similar restrictions. U.S. District Judge Jay Moody issued a permanent injunction against the Arkansas law, which would have prohibited doctors from providing gender-affirming hormone treatment, puberty blockers, or surgery to anyone under 18. Arkansas's law, which Moody temporarily blocked in 2021, 
also would have prohibited doctors from referring patients elsewhere for such care. The IRS has processed tens of millions of tax returns faster this year compared with past years while getting through to customer service on the phone is slowly improving, according to a report to Congress released Wednesday. The latest update on the IRS from national taxpayer advocate Aaron M. Collins said the agency cut its backlog of unprocessed paper tax returns by 80%. Overall, the difference between the 2022 filing season and the 2023 filing season was like night and day, Collins said. It marks a return to pre-pandemic levels. President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act included $80 billion for tax collection efforts. Agency leaders started using that money immediately to add employees to the IRS workforce, which had dwindled to 1970s levels through retirements, attrition, and low pay that has not caught up with inflation. The national murder rate has plummeted since President Biden took office. Jeff Asher, a national expert in criminal justice data, writes in The Atlantic revealing that murder is down 12% year-to-date in more than 90 cities that have released data for 2023 compared with data as of the same date in 2022. Asher described the rapid decrease in the murder rate as, quote, astonishing. In a follow-up piece published in his newsletter, Asher said that if the trend holds, it will be the largest decline ever recorded. It would also be the first time ever the murder rate declined by double digits in a single year. A CBS News poll finds most say overturning Roe has been bad for country. Half say abortion has been more restricted than expected. Last spring, those who opposed overturning Roe felt doing so would be a danger to women and a threat to people's rights. And many say some of their fears are now being realized. Women, six in ten of whom disapprove of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe, feel that decision has not only been an infringement on women's rights, but also a threat to women's health. More than half of women think being pregnant in the U.S. today is becoming more dangerous from a health care perspective. For more information on these and other stories, go to our website, partyonthepeninsulas.com. From Michigan Democratic Party headquarters in Lansing, I'm Dorian Tyus. Thank you, Dorian. Betsy Kofia's story is one of both personal and political persistence. She grew up in a rural, working-class community. Her mother, who cleaned homes for a living and spent her free time volunteering, all while raising four children, instilled hard-working values in her. Rep. Kofia witnessed the struggles of life on the margin, especially when it came to health care. Her parents were in a constant state of stress, balancing how to afford medical visits and stay on top of bills. In 2020, she was diagnosed with a benign brain tumor and underwent major surgery and months of recovery with all the high costs and uncertainty that came with it. These experiences have collectively led Rep. Kofia to the Michigan Capitol. Last year, she defeated the incumbent Republican representatives by 765 votes to flip the district key to Democrats taking a 56 to 54 majority in the state legislature. Representative Kofia, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's great to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me, Walt. I've been looking forward to this discussion. Our theme this week on the podcast is persistence. And when it comes to the transformation of your area, Northwest Lower Michigan, 
uh, the Grand Traverse area. Persistence is what it's been all about. You've been working at this a long time to finally flip the district. It's true. Yes. I mean, I got involved in sort of local politics in 2012 after Rick Snyder came in and started just wreaking havoc on so many of the things that we hold here. And so, yeah, it, we were, I think we were around a 43% Dem district back then in the region. And there were zero county commissioners who were Democrats, for example. We, over time, with the leadership of our Grand Traverse Dam chair, Diana Cadillac at the time, and then Don Snow, and then Chris Cracciolo, and a lot of folks really leaning in, we have been able to move it from pretty solidly Republican district and redistricting helped this last time, but we've been able to move it. I was the first Democratic woman elected to my county commission back in 2018 for over 30 years. We went from zero Dems on the board to two. And when I left to, to go work in the state house, we, I left three Democratic women behind me. And we've actually, we're on a path to potentially flip and have a Democratic majority on our county commission in Grand Traverse County in the next election if we play our cards right. You have a, an interesting district. You've had probably two of the most famous constituents in recent Michigan political history as a part of your district. First, the late Bill Milligan, although a Republican, certainly a very progressive Republican, one of my personal yeah. political heroes. Mine too. Republican side, a great man. And now you've got the Secretary of Transportation and his husband. It's true. Yes. Bill and Helen Milliken are some of my political heroes as well. I'm actually meeting with Bill Jr. this weekend. He's finally given me a portrait of Bill and Helen to put in my office because I literally get the honor to represent Bill Milliken's hometown and home district. And he was such a champion for the environment, reproductive freedom, standing up to corporate interests when they were doing things that weren't good for Michigan. And yes, Chapton and Pete Buttigieg, um, I'm proud to have them as constituents. And uh, Chaston, I hope folks know, literally grew up here with a teacher. And after marrying Pete, the two of them have moved back here with their kiddos. So really proud to have them and have the chance to represent them. Your comments on Bill Milliken really bring to mind something that I think a lot of voters want to see, but we rarely see, especially in Washington right now, but even in Lansing. And that is being able to work with like-minded people on the other side. Yeah. Well, and that ties in well. I mean, again, after I won in November by less than 800 votes, we defeated a two-term incumbent with 40 years of TV and radio name recognition, Jack O'Malley, which was a huge lift that my community just absolutely went all out to help it happen. But I sat down because I'm a political nerd and I read Bill Milliken's biography and there was so much wisdom there. And I really have tried to take the heart that I am representing his district and he was so masterful at building across different. I have a really solid relationship with my Republican senator, Don Moose. We're working together on child care. We're both advocating for some budget priority. And my colleague, Don Roth, who is the Republican representing the other half of my district, we have a good relationship. We have collaborated on things like he was my first Republican co-sponsor for something that would address equity in rural school busing. It's incredibly expensive with these hundreds of miles radius district to fund busing. And there's no extra money for rural school districts. So a lot of that money is not staying in the classroom, it's going right into the gas tank. And we want that money to go back towards mental health, for paying teachers and staff more. And John Roth was my first Republican co-sponsor and he did get it in the House budget. I was proud to champion that. So I believe it's a responsibility to try to find common ground 
I worked really closely, actually, when I was a county commissioner with Chapman the Judge's great uncle, Sonny Wheelock, who was an old school Republican on the board. And we got some important work done, hazard pay for our first responders and our health department. I worked through with him to get that done. We collaborated to make sure it happened and it didn't look that just because I had a view to my name. Is that the key to transforming the greater area from red to purple, at least, or perhaps blue? And maybe replacing Jack Bergman in Congress with somebody who is less Trumpified, shall we say? I think the key for progress, it's a lot of things. I didn't win on accident. There was an incredible amount of long-term relationship building, showing up with the community and earning their trust uh, through the Trump years, right? Being intentional with the party about fronting good candidates and supporting them. That is really important. It has been a long game here in Northern Michigan to really intentionally move us from a red district to now a purple district, where I was the first Democratic state rep to represent Grand Traverse County ever. So it happened with people really working together to advance, I think, a pro-people agenda. Housing is a huge issue up here. Child care is a huge need. We lost like a third of our child care providers during COVID and we have not recovered taking care of our clean air and water, huge issue up here. So I think it's about focusing on the things that are really important to this district, working hard and smart on those issues, and yes, finding common ground wherever it's available uh, to get us away from this us versus them mentality. I think a lot of people would like to see the Bill Milliken statesmanship come back. Another part of your biography really speaks to your priorities as well, and that was your personal battle with a brain tumor, thankfully yeah. a benign tumor. But your passion for healthcare really is something that's got to resonate with everybody you represent. Yeah, I think that's true. And yes, I survived during COVID. We, I was diagnosed with a major brain tumor, had, had an eight-hour surgery at U of M, five, five days in the hospital, months of recovery and unable to work. And I was, quote, lucky, air quote, lucky that I had decent insurance and a supportive employer at the time. So I wasn't fired and bankrupted because... It was a $300,000 medical bill. So I was very open about that. I also grew up in a family that worked incredibly hard from rural Tuscaska County. My mom cleaned houses for a living, but we couldn't afford health insurance. And so many families in our region have struggled to act care they need. So I personally made sure to knock, particularly working class neighborhood, you know, mobile home parks in my neighborhood, which is the one working class neighborhood in Traverse City, and engaged directly with people who were, who had some of those same barriers. And I think that really resonates with people. They want somebody who has some little bit of experience and is determined to remove some of those barriers and make sure people can get the care they need. It's not a luxury like a yacht or a Maserati. It's basic access to health care, mental health care. And we really need to get to the point where we all have that. Another issue which is critical, especially in outstate Michigan and the less densely populated areas that you've been working on, and we're getting some results on is internet access. And the governor yes. recently announced some improvements there, which are going to have a direct impact, not so much on Traverse City specifically, but on the Traverse City area and much of outstate Michigan. Yes. And actually, just yesterday, Walt, we voted to codify and solidify the office of, we have a rural bro broadband office that is specifically a state entity now that is working to expand that access. I'm also advocating to get some one-time ARPA dollars through the state to help the last dollar in, hopefully, for some of my more rural townships here in the 103rd 
And I worked with Senator DeMuth again. We agree that the shared priority, it's an, it's not a luxury. Again, this is a utility at this point. People need access to the internet for schooling, for entrepreneurs to have a reliable service to, to promote their product, for telehealth, especially again in rural areas where healthcare can be difficult to come by. So it's a really important piece of the puzzle here. Representative Kafia, thank you so much for joining us and thank you for the great work you're doing already in the legislature and also for being one of those flips that gave us control of the House. Thank you. Well, my folks up north are incredibly proud to be that last policy to deliver, you know, vote 56 to give us this majority and they have been incredibly supportive of me so far in the term and I hope to keep making them proud. That's our report for this week. Our great thanks to Representative Betsy Kofia for her leadership and for her insights on transforming her home region politically. We urge you to share a link to this podcast on your social media and expand the network of Michigan Democrats receiving updates on your party's work to move Michigan forward. And we welcome your comments. Just email us, comments at partyonthepeninsulas.com. I'm LaVora Barnes. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week and hope you will be too. Party on the Peninsula is a production of the Michigan Democratic Party.